us before we release Bridge Kids. Um, I'd like to introduce our speaker this morning, uh, Eric Hesse. Eric is a pastor of Grace Community Church. He's been there for 10 and a half years, um, along with his uh, wife and kids, and they are headed to Berlin, Germany. So, great, stand up. Uh, Miriam and Ethan and Micah. And uh, so they've been a part of the Free Church family these past 11 years, actually longer. And uh, God is doing something uh, new and different in their lives. We're going to let Eric tell you the story. So thank you. And uh, we'll let uh, Bridge Kids, you're dismissed. And we'll let Eric tell us what's on his heart today. Good morning, everyone. We had that all tested earlier this morning, so I'm not sure what happened there. Uh, yeah, I just uh, just so grateful that you guys have uh, welcomed us here this morning, and it's just a privilege to be with you and to share with you a little bit uh, our story, our journey, a uh, journey that's taking us to Berlin and Atlips. Ken, Kathy, good to see you guys. Sorry, I just see old friends from uh, Richland Center, so... Yeah, oh man, my heart's blessed to see you guys. So yeah, I just want to share with you guys a little bit of what God's been teaching us. Uh, my, my passion, my, my life mission is to see every believer a missionary in, in heart and mind, every believer a missionary resulting in a Holy Spirit-directed spontaneous expansion of the church. So this idea of being sent, and uh, I, by the way, I blog at sentness.com if you want to follow my blog. So this idea of every believer is sent, every believer is uh, a missionary, is, uh, is a passion of mine, and, and it's kind of fitting that God would end up calling our family to be sent and to, to go to Berlin. So I want to share a little bit about that with you this morning. Can I just pray as we start our time together? Will you join me as we go, as we go to the Lord in prayer? Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us the ears to hear what you're saying to us this morning. And uh, God, anything that is not of you this morning, anything that, is, that does not honor your son Christ, God, may it be like chaff, may it blow away. And uh, But those things that are of your spirit, by your spirit, God, would you just sink those truths deep within our hearts here this morning? We pray this in Christ's name. Well, you guys know this. John's Gospel says that Christ is the light of the world, right? You know that. Uh, John 1, the true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him. And then John says this. This is astonishing. He says this. The world did not know him. Astonishing. A more literal translation of that would be the world did not recognize him. I, I just find that fascinating, that Christ, the light of the world, the one who created this world, came into this world, and his own creation did not recognize who he was. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but people are not like moths. You know, moths are attracted to lights, but people, we are not like moths. We we cannot wait for people to be drawn to the light of Christ. People don't recognize the light. And 2 Corinthians says this, The God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. And so, so because, because people are not naturally drawn to Jesus, we have to figure out a way to send ourselves in order to take the light of Christ to them, right? You tracking with me? So this morning, I just want to share with you uh, a little bit about our family's journey to be light, uh, a journey that's culminated in this call to go to Berlin. So here's, here's the big idea for this morning. I think that, that you and I, we, we have to live sent. We have to be a sent people because it's not readily apparent that Jesus is the light of spiritual life. So we have to live sent. So I want to share with you this morning two lessons uh, about living a sent life from two very different texts. The first from uh, the Matthew 4, a New Testament text, and the second one from Psalm 139. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to, to track with me in those two texts. The first one, Matthew 4, 12 through 17, and the second lesson about living scent coming from uh, Psalm 139. So in, in June of 2011, I began teaching our church. I've been going through a series on uh, Matthew through the Sermon on the Mount. And the, the title of that series was called The Kingdom Way of Life. Because we're really wanting to live like Christ at our church and not, not realizing that the way of Jesus is more than just belief and attendance. It's an actual way of life. And so what is that way of life? The Sermon on the Mount, I think, describes that way of life better than any other text. And so we're teaching through this text, and it was the very first message in this Kingdom Way of Life series from Matthew 4 that I'm preparing uh, to give this to, away to our people, and, and God begins to do something in, in my heart. So first lesson about living sin. Look at Matthew, that Matthew 4 text. Here, here's what Matthew 4 teaches. Like Christ, we must intentionally flow to places of darkness, spiritual darkness, in order to shine his light. I think that's what this text teaches. Now let me read this to you and see if that comes out in, in what Matthew writes. So Matthew 4, 12 through 17, first lesson about living a sent life. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he, meaning Jesus, withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, I had read that text a thousand times, and I never noticed what I noticed that week I was preparing this message in 2011. Jesus intentionally goes to where the darkness is most dense. And I just saw this for the first time. It just jumped off the page at me. So look at the text. Christ moves from Nazareth near Jerusalem, his boyhood home, to Capernaum, along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And this is the very first thing that Jesus does in his public ministry. He moves his ministry headquarters. First things have some, 
they have symbolism, don't they? They're, they're, they're symbolically important. You think about their, your first day on the job or your first day at school or your first kiss or whatever. I mean, first things are a big deal. They're, they're precedent-setting, aren't they? They're precedent-setting. And I, I want to suggest to you this morning that, that what Jesus is doing here, he is setting a precedent for us to follow. He wants us to do what he does and what he models for us. He goes to where the darkness is most dense. Living scent means that we do the same thing as well. A little bit about this move from Nazareth to Capernaum. Capernaum's on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a a center of fishing and trade at the time of Jesus' life. It's a densely populated region. Uh, um, A whole, whole great number of little small villages all densely packed together. Uh, the, the region of Galilee was not some backwoods, backcountry kind of place. It was a m- m- metropolis, if you will. It was a bustling, productive region. Two of the busiest trades route in, trade routes in the ancient world kind of crisscrossed and came and met in, in the region of Galilee. Maybe most importantly, uh, Galilee was a highly Gentile region, right? It's a highly Gentile region. Uh, in other words, it, it was an area that was looked down upon by Jews. It's, uh, it's the other side of the tracks, if you will. Okay, So Matthew, again, Matthew recording this first public event in Jesus' ministry says that this move from Nazareth to Capernaum fulfills Old Testament scripture, right? Look at, look at the text. It's Isaiah 9, 1 through 2 to be exact. And so so Matthew takes this Old Testament text from Isaiah and he applies it to the life of Jesus, basically saying that these two regions, if you read that Isaiah 9 text, Zebulun and Naphtali, geographically those two regions uh, most closest to the region, those Old Testament tribes most closely identify with the region of Galilee, on those two areas, on that area, the light of Christ is dawning. On that area, the light of Christ is dawning. And, and Jesus' move fulfills Old Testament scripture. It, it for, foreshadows the, the fulfillment of the gospel expanding to all nations. The Galilee of the nations, as the Isaiah text says. But I want you to notice something. Look at, look at verse 16. I want you to, to notice the emphasis on the spiritual darkness of the place that Jesus goes to. Matthew says that Jesus goes to those dwelling in the region and shadow of of death. Literally, the text reads the dark land of death. That's where Christ goes. Ma- Matthew's using a Hebrew metaphor for impenetrable darkness. And he's saying that that's where Christ goes. It, it's, it's language that I think evokes hardship and, and oppression and deprivation and lack of clarity about direction in one's life. This is where Christ goes intentionally. This is where he moves his ministry headquarters. He sets up shop in this place of vast, spiritual, impenetrable darkness. Now, I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine maybe a a modern parallel. A modern parallel for us might be, you know, maybe a a well-known Christian ministry moving their, their world headquarters from Wheaton or Colorado Springs to, or some other squeaky queen, clean Midwestern town to uh, the Big Apple or Las Vegas. 
That's kind of what Christ does here. He moves his headquarters purposefully. He goes to where the darkness is most dense. Now, that's the principle I taught our people two years ago in June of 2011. Living sent involves embracing this pattern that Jesus models for us, going to the places of spiritual darkness. And, you know, I think for for many of us who, if we've walked with Christ for any length of time, I think we need to remember how terrifying it is to walk in spiritual darkness. Have any of you ever been spelunking? Have you ever been in total darkness? It is, it is unnerving, isn't it? It's unsettling. You're totally engulfed in pitch blackness. But here's the thing. The spiritual darkness is worse. It's more terrifying. I, mean, I think we forget how, how, uh, how our dependence upon our own resources and our dependence upon our own perspectives for guidance Living that way is a harrowing and painfully bleak existence. It's terrifying. And Jesus offers this world something better, doesn't he? He does. John 8, 12. I am the light of the world, Christ says. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But, but people are not moths. They're not naturally drawn to the light of Christ. And so we must intentionally flow and move to places of spiritual darkness in order to shine his light. That's the principle. That's the principle. You know, I think part of us, you know, learning to live sent simply involves noticing the spiritual darkness around us. It's so easy just to ignore those things, isn't it? You know, it's about having eyes to see and then intentionally moving to those places in order to shine the light of Christ. And so I, the question I would have for you guys is, where are those, where are those places of spiritual darkness in Eau Claire? Where, where are the places of injustice? Where are the places of oppression? Where are the places of hopelessness? Where are the places that are desperate to hear, people are desperate to hear good news? Where are the harassed and the helpless in Eau Claire? Where are they? Where are those who don't feel they deserve the grace of God? And that's where we are to go. That's our calling. That's our mission. Now, the application of this text doesn't mean that every single one of you is called to be a full-time missionary overseas. Okay? That's not the application. It's the application for our family. But that's not necessarily the application for you. God might call you to the neighbor down the street. He might call you to spend time with people at the bar around the corner or to the funky new age coffee shop. It's about having, living this out is about having compassionate eyes to see the darkness, notice it, willing ears to hear God's voice, and then the resolute courage to obey God when he pushes you out into the darkness. Question for you guys. Have you ever been to like a Home Depot or a Menards, and you've wandered into the light section in one of those places. You know what I'm talking about? You walk into like Menards, and you got this huge, big, all those lights, ceiling fans and canned lights and spotlights and whatever, all those lights. All those lights shining brightly 
for each other, right? I think too frequently that's, that's the picture of what church is. We shine our lights for other lights instead of shining our lights in the places that have no lights. Lights are not created for other lights. They're, lights are created for darkness. And I want to suggest to you that we will never, we will never ever ful- fulfill the great commission, this co- commission that Christ gave us to reach the nations. We will never fulfill that if we fail to grasp the significance of what Jesus does in this Matthew 4 text. And the implications for you and I and how we are to live. And so I want to encourage you this, this, this week. Take some time with your family. Take some time with your, with your growth group. Take some time uh, with whatever, whatever small group you meet with. Take some time and just spend some time praying, talking with Master Jesus. And asking him what needs to change in your life in order for you to be obedient in this area. You know, I was sharing this text from Matthew 4 with a woman earlier this year. And I'm so thankful she did, she did this. She came up to me after I shared this, this Matthew 4 text. And, and she had the guts to tell me that um, what, I was, what I just told you was incredibly frustrating for her. It just it, it unnerved her. Um, to, to paraphrase, this woman's uh, basically objected to what I was trying to teach from Matthew 4. Uh, and here's her reasoning. She said, Eric, I, I spend all day, every day with coworkers who are trapped in spiritual darkness. In other words, she was all too familiar with the darkness. And because of that, she preferred to spend much of her time cloistering herself in the light section at the church. She wanted to be around other lights. And I just, I, you know, I, I, I understand. I understand that feeling. I understand that. It's not easy being light in darkness. And that brings me to the second lesson that I want to pass on to you this morning. It's a lesson from Psalm 139. So flip from the New Testament back to the Old Testament, Psalm 139. And I want this Psalm 139 text to encourage you because if, if doing what Jesus talks about in Matthew 4 terrifies you, if that terrifies you, then you need to remember the lesson of Psalm 139. And this is the, this is the second lesson, the second lesson about living scent that, that God taught me, has been teaching me recently. Here's what Psalm 139 teaches, I think. God will go before you, And he will lead you with his sustaining presence when you follow him into the darkness. That's what Psalm 139 teaches. God will go before you and he will lead you with his sustaining presence when you follow him into the darkness. So after I gave this this message on Matthew 4, man, God began to stir in my heart and to create in me a restlessness. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't know how to process that restlessness. I just knew that I wasn't living out. I wasn't being obedient to what Jesus talked about in Matthew 4, what Matthew writes about. And so our family began praying together. God, where are you sending us? What, is it, what does it mean for us as a family to be sent? 
And the more we prayed, uh, the more we had a sense that the, 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 the answer to that prayer was Europe. And as 2011 kind of rolled into 2012, God got our attention on not only Europe, but Berlin. We were reading a, a, a biography about Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, in early 2012, and God used that to get our attention on Berlin. And so Miriam, uh, my wife, she contacted Reach Global, the, 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 the mission agency of the EFCA, and just to see if God was, are uh, there any uh, mission opportunities in Europe? And uh, pups this, this need for, for people, a team in Berlin. And that, that started a conversation with the Berlin uh, city team leader, and it led to a meeting uh, with him in Madison in May of, of 2012. And for three hours, we met with this guy, and he's sharing about Berlin. And we felt like the two, I, I felt like the two on the road to Emmaus, you know, Christ is talking and their hearts burned within them. It was, was kind of like that same thing for us. And Mike, is, Mike Edwards is sharing about Berlin and our hearts are burning on the inside. And we left that meeting feeling like the, 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 the application, the answer to all the prayers, God, where are you sending us? The answer to that was, was Berlin. And there was, a, there was like a, a, a weightiness to the moment, uh, just a, um, a, it was a solemn weightiness like oh my goodness god is wanting our family to go to berlin and so we got home that night and i you know i I just was voracious for learning more about the city i pulled up my tablet i pulled up youtube and we started watching videos on berlin and we started with like the with the the travel videos of rick steve's travel berlin and 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 you know i I watched two hours worth of videos on berlin that night just trying to get a feel for the city and what life would be like in the city and the more we watched these videos, the more it just became clear that Berlin is a spiritually dark place. And prostitution is legal in Berlin. It's estimated that, uh, that one in three German men have visited a prostitute. Um, th- that just gives you a little window into, into life in not only in Germany, but Berlin. And all of this is coming out in these videos that I'm watching. And I'm just really feeling the spiritual oppression as we watch this place. My heart's breaking for this place. And I started wrestling with God. Because in the morning when we met with Mike, I was feeling like God wanted us to go to Berlin. He wants us there. Live sent, right? But in the, at night, as, as I'm wrestling with the spiritual darkness, I'm, I'm, I don't want to go to Berlin. I don't want to take my family. I don't raise boys, teenage boys in a place like Berlin. And, and so I started just fighting. All night I'm fighting with God. And I, I, I didn't sleep that night, uh, May 19th. Uh, May 20th, 4 a.m., I, I just get up. I just give up and get up. And I, you know, make my cup of coffee, sit down in my chair and open my Bible. And my, my normal Old Testament reading for that morning was Psalm 139. And, and God called us to Berlin from Psalm 139. So this is, this is the, let me just read this to you and let me just draw this principle out. Again, the principle is God will go before you and lead you with his sustaining presence when you follow him into the darkness. So I'm sitting there, I'm reading, and I, I read verses, you know, one through four, and, it, and, and I just have this sense that God is speaking specially to me that morning. He says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. And David's writing about God's perfect omniscience. God knows everything about this man. O oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. Isn't that encouraging? You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. 
In verse 4, this is astonishing. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. And I just read that this morning, and I just, I, I'm, by, verse, by verse 4, I'm crying. My heart's racing 180 beats a minute, and I'm just overwhelmed with God's perfect, intimate knowledge of me. He knows how I'm put together. He knows how I'm wired. He knows how I'm gifted. He knows what I'm good at, what I'm bad at. He knows my struggles. He knows my, what I, he knows everything about me. But what was new for me that morning is that God connected his omniscience, his knowledge of me, to his leading me. Look, that's what David says. Look at verse 5. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. And that image is the image of a shepherd hemming a sheep in, channeling a sheep in the direction he wants the sheep to go. And, and that morning, as I'm overwhelmed with God's omniscience, I'm just overwhelmed that God knows me, and, it, and he knows me for a purpose, and it's the purpose of him leading me. And he was, I just had the sense he was leading our family to Berlin. And so my response is what David says in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I cannot attain it. And so the obvious question is, you know, if God knows us and he's leading us, well, the obvious question is, well, God, are you going to go with us? Are you going to be with me if I go to Berlin? And that's exactly what David, that's where David goes in verse 7. It switches from omniscience to omnipresence. Look at verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirits? David says, where shall I flee from your presence? Rhetorical questions with the answer, well, you can't go anywhere and be apart from the presence of God. If I ascend to heaven, David says, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. Then I read verse 9. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And God very clearly said to me, Eric, I am asking you to take the wings of the morning, to move across the Atlantic, move the other uttermost parts of the sea, move to Berlin. I am leading you there, and my right hand will hold you. And I, and I put my Bible down, and I'm like praising God. God, you're so cool. You're so awesome that you lead your people. Thank you, God. Thank you for calling us to Berlin. And I'm just kind of reveling in the moment. And as I do so, all of the objections, all the wrestling from the night before just came flooding back. And my prayer at that moment was, excuse the French, oh crap, what about the darkness? And I look back down at my Bible, verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, David reasons, well, even the darkness is not dark to you, God. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. And God very clearly said, Eric, you don't need to worry about spiritual darkness. I am light. I will be your light in Berlin. And so our family, we have to go. We have to go. We, didn't, we don't want to go. We love our church. We love our people. We love where God has called us. But if we don't go to Berlin, I'm going to be disobedient. And so we've just, from that point on, we begin to, began to do what we needed to do in order to get there, in order to get to Berlin. But I want you to notice the principle. Do you see the principle in Psalm 139? That, that if you follow God into the darkness, like Christ, don't worry about it. 
God will go before you. He will lead you with his sustaining presence when you follow him into the darkness. You know, I I believe this in the core of my being, that if you really want to see God at work in your life, you have to follow him into the darkness because that's where he's at work. Author Ed Stetzer says it like this. He says this about life in the church. He says, it seems we work very hard to insulate ourselves from the very world Jesus says that we should be focused on. He says, it seems we've created without malicious design a Christian bubble, uh, an evangelical subculture where Christians live surrounded only by other Christians. And as a result, there are a few among us, a few among the lost whom we get to know intimately. Then he says this, he says, Christian experts tell us how to raise our kids, how to handle our finances, what music to buy, what movies to see, what books to read. And then he says, the bubble, the bubble, the Christian bubble is complete. But then he adds this, God, and I believe this, God is on mission outside the bubble. And if you follow Christ outside the bubble, the walls of the church building, if you follow him into the darkness, he will sustain you and you will see him at work in your life and you will see him at work in your neighborhood, in the places that you go. You know, it took Psalm 139 for me to figure this out. It took a long time for me to figure out that I needed to live this way. But this is, this is what Jesus promises in the Great Commission, isn't it? He promises his sustaining presence when we go to make disciples of all nations. I'll be with you. Lo, I'm, behold, I'm always with you, even to the end of the age. But the experience of his presence is tied to going, to obedience, to be light in darkness. And I want you guys to experience his presence. The fullness of his presence. So pray for us. I'm going to pray for you guys as you try to live this out as a church. Pray for us as a family as we try to live this out and, and God sends us to Berlin. Uh, if you'll pop up the first slide there. You know, I, Jerry introduced our family early this morning. Um, if you'll flip to the slide introducing our family. Uh, Miriam and I met at, at Wheaton College. We have two boys, uh, Ethan and Micah. Ethan's 11, uh, Micah's 8. And we're adopting a third child from Haiti, uh, Jethro. We don't have Jethro yet, and we're not sure when uh, God will bring us to Jethro. Uh, bring, God will bring Jethro to us, excuse me. Um, pray for that adoption process. That's uh, w- w- the, the whole journey to Berlin and the whole journey to adopt has sometimes felt like we're on two different trains on two different tracks headed in opposite directions. So we're trusting somehow that God will line these two tracks up at some point. So this is our family. We've been in Wisconsin for the last uh, 10 years or so, a uh, great church in, in Richland Center, and God's called us from rural Wisconsin, a place where there are more cows than people, to urban Berlin, and we couldn't be more thrilled. Let me say a little bit about uh, uh, some of the things that are happening missions-wise ari- around the world. I don't know if you guys know this, but there is a, a major, the largest migration uh, of people, largest people movement in the history of the world is happening right now in our lifetime. If you can flip to the next slide. We actually, in 2007, this, this graph shows the, the, the crossing of the, the threshold. In 2007, for the first time, more people live in cities than in rural areas. And it's a trend that will never again be reversed. In fact, by the year 2050, sociologists estimate that 70% of the world's population will live in urban centers, cities. 
And the problem is, is that if the, if the same trend continues, only 30% of believers will live in urban centers by the year 2050. So potentially we could have 70% of 11 billion people living in cities by 2050 and only 30% of believers in cities. So we, we have an issue. If we're, we're, we want to see the Great Commission fulfilled, then we need to think about urban centers. In some sense, if you've heard of the 1040 window, in some sense, urban centers, cities are the new 1040 window. The 1040 window is moving to cities. And so we have to, if we're going to reach the world, be light for Christ, we have to think about how the gospel spreads and moves in large urban centers. I want to show you guys another slide. If you flip to the next one. I don't, I don't know if you know the spiritual climate of, of, of Europe compared to the rest of the world. God, has been, God is at work all over this world. You know, he's on mission outside the bubble. But God is especially at work in Latin America, Asia, and Africa. And this graph kind of shows that. So this, this shows the, the growth of, of, of Christ followers in Latin America, Asia, and Africa in the last century, the last hundred years. And, and you can see the growth for Latin America is upwards 5,000% growth. It's almost exponential growth in these areas. So that's the growth curve for the, for the rest of the world. You know what the growth curve looks like as far as believers in Christ? You know what the growth curve looks like for Europe? You can go to the next slide. There's the growth curve for Europe. So when you think about where, where in the world are the need, where's the need for the gospel? The, right now, the need is in Europe. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the population of China and Europe are roughly the same, give or take a, hundred, a couple hundred million or so, but roughly the same. There are more believers in services on a Sunday morning in communist China than there are in all of Christian Europe combined. So the place for the, the, the need for the, for the gospel is the greatest, I, I think, in, in Europe. And what about Berlin? Well, Ber- Berlin is a, um, Berlin is, the spiritual climate of Berlin is, is the same way. In fact, it's probably more severe. Uh, Berlin has been described as the atheist capital of the world. Uh, it's been uh, it's 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 a place where uh, post Christianity reigns supreme. Uh, in other words, the the belief in Christ and the participation in the church all that's been marginalized due to secular humanism. So the result is that only about one and a half percent of Berlin are Christ followers. When missiologists talk about less than two percent being an unreached people group, Berlin as a city is an unreached people group. 60% of those 1.5% Christ followers are over the age of 50. It's a diverse city, and it's one of the things that, that drew us to it. Uh, the world is represented in Berlin. 180, 190 nations are in the Berlin metro area. Uh, one in four in, 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 are non-Germans in Berlin. Largest population of Turks outside of Turkey are in Berlin, some 300,000. So Berlin is a place of vast need for the gospel, for the light of Christ to shine. You can go to the next slide here. This, this in a nutshell, is Berlin, okay? The, the, chief, the chief value in Berlin is tolerance. And so I try to, try to help you guys understand what Berlin's like. Berlin is to Germany what San Francisco is to the U.S. That's, that's kind of what Berlin is like. And it's 
but it's still a, a place of incredible influence. It's, it's a strategic city um, for the gospel. Uh, it's, it's, it's becoming, because of its uh, economic stature, Germany's economic stature, Berlin being the capital of that, it is of, of growing importance, not only in Europe, but in the rest of the world. It's a diverse country, uh, but it's a place where, where tolerance is the chief value. And that's a reaction against Nazism, where there was so much intolerance towards Jews. And so they swung the pendulum so far on the, the extreme that they, they feel like they must be tolerant of everything and everybody. So, but it's a, it's a place that is incredibly diverse, full of extremes, and yet highly influential. When you think about what Berlin exports, uh, think of all the, all the great movements, intellectual movements around the world. Many of them have originated from Germany and from, from Berlin. Uh, you think of um, Nazism, uh, communism. You think of uh, the, the German higher critical movement. Um, a lot of the German Enlightenment, all of these things have been exported the world over and influenced the world. Well, right now, the biggest thing that Germany is exporting is is agnosticism and unbelief. Berlin's the epicenter of that, and that's influencing us even here today. So we're hopeful, though. We're ho- In spite of this rocky soil, we're, we're really hopeful that God is moving in Berlin. And um, if you go to the next slide... We really believe that Berlin is, is poised to see a movement of the gospel. There's been some things that uh, have been happening prayer-wise in the city that make us feel like the soil has been softened and God is preparing Berlin for a movement. So the, uh, we're going to Berlin as part of uh, the EFCA Reach Global. We'll be part of a large team, about 25 families on the ground. And our, our goal is to see you know, the, the city of Berlin transformed by the power of the gospel so that it has regional and global impact for Christ. If you go to the next slide, some of the things regarding this gospel transformation. It's a great question. How do you see gospel transformation come to a a large urban center? That's the question we're trying to answer. Well, we think there are some building blocks to that. First of all, it's going to involve the transformation of individual lives. It's going to take a disciple-making movement. One life of Christ touching another person to touch another person so that you have a movement of multiplying disciples who make disciples who make disciples. But more than that, it's going to take intentionally connecting and partnering together. Because to reach a whole city, to see a whole city transformed by the power of the gospel, you can't do that alone. You need to cultivate partnerships and you need to leverage those partnerships. Everybody bringing the resources they have to be good news in a city. And so we we would love to partner with you guys for the bridge to be a partner in Berlin, to work in Berlin, to see a movement in probably the most post-Christian place on the planet. Go to the next slide. Oh, I'm sorry, back up one. Let me say a little bit about gospel initiatives here. Berlin is a place where we have to start a lot of things. When only 1.5% of the city are Christ followers, th- th- there's not much there. And so part of what we'll be doing is, is multiplying gospel initiatives. A gospel initiative could be as complex as a church plant or as simple as a house church or a backyard club to, to, to Turkish kids in, in a neighborhood. Um, and lastly, it's going to take mobilizing resources, lots and lots of resources. And when I say resources, I want you guys to hear people. Because people, in God's economy, people are the currency of the kingdom. So it's going to take people, everybody bringing their gifts, working in Berlin to see this movement of the gospel. If you go to the next slide, please. So we hope to see in the next 10 years, 100 gospel initiatives 
and 150 partnerships. So 100, 150, 10. 100, part- 100 initiatives, 150 partnerships in the next 10 years. And so, yeah, we're part of a large team. Uh, part of this initiative involves uh, creating landing strips, places for you guys and other churches to come land in Berlin, spend some time in Berlin, work in Berlin, learn how to do ministry in a post-Christian environment. Uh, maybe it's a, a, a short-term time, uh, seven weeks. Maybe it's a longer period of time, like one to two years, where you're learning how to, to relationally uh, minister to people who are very far from Christ. So how can you be a part of, of uh, this gospel movement in Berlin? If you go to the next slide, please. Well, you can pray for us. Um, you know, you can, we, we need prayer. Uh, p- prayer is, is the most significant thing we can do. Uh, it, it is how God works. And so we, we need people to, to partner with us in prayer. Uh, if you, you know, sign up for our email newsletter. There's a little sign-up sheet with a little bear on the top. Sign up for our newsletter. Read our newsletter so you can hear how God's leading our family. Um, pray, pray for, pray possibly pray about financial partnership. It's, it's you know, in order to be sent, we, we have to raise our own support. And so hopefully some of you would, would prayerfully consider partnering with us financially. Maybe the, the bridge could consider partnering with us financially. Help us also co- to connect with others who might be interested. Get us to Berlin. We need workers on the ground in Berlin. Get us to Berlin so we can start multiplying these gospel initiatives so that you guys can start coming. You know, I just, that's, that's how you can partner with us. Um, and I, I, we'd love to talk with you guys after the service if you guys have questions about Berlin or, or what the culture's like, what the city's like. There's so much more we could say, and I've already gone longer than I should have, Jerry. Sorry about that. Let me, let me just, let me kind of wrap our time up with this. God's been so good to us, hasn't he? God has been so incredibly good to us. You remember the words in 2 Corinthians? Uh, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. God's been so incredibly good to us. John 8, 12. Christ says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And that's, that's where you and I are at if you're in Christ. You never have to walk in spiritual darkness. Jesus says in Matthew 5, you're the light of the world. city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before men, that they they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. God has blessed us in Christ in order to be a blessing to others in the name of Jesus. The purpose of light is to shine. The purpose of light is to shine. Don't hide your light. A disciple whose life reveals none of the Father's works is like invisible light for vision. It's useless. The challenge for you and I as we seek to live sent is to live out in the public arena what we are intrinsically in Christ. We are light. As Bonhoeffer once said, flight into the invisible is a denial of the call. A community of Jesus which seeks to hide itself has ceased to follow him. So follow him into the darkness. Follow him.
God, we thank you this morning that you have shown your light through Christ into our hearts. And God, you have blessed us to be a blessing. Help us to live sent. Help us to live sent by the power of your spirit, God. In Christ's name.